When I came into the gym this morning and said a few words to Chad, he was wondering if I hadn't been following doctor's orders because my throat is not good this morning, but I trust God will give me the strength to make it through without coughing. Um, we turn then to First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, verses 14 and 15, we're in the midst of a section that is entitled in my Bible, Christian Conduct. So we are dealing with Christian living here, which is for those who know Jesus. And as we think of Christian living, we do not divorce it from the gospel of what Christ has done for us. It is gospel-motivated living based on what Christ has done. And so he addresses brethren, those who are a part of the family of God, how we ought to function within the body of Christ and how we ought to deal with various needs represented in the groups that we see here in verses 14 and 15. And Paul says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, we praise You this day, that we can come and worship You and sing praises to You. And now, Lord, as we have this opportunity to open Your Word, we pray that You would teach us by Your Spirit, that You would guide us into Your truth, because we believe, Lord, that Your Word is everlasting truth. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth today, the meditations of our hearts, would be pleasing in Your sight. For to You belongs all the praise and all the glory. We pray in your name. Amen. Would you go to a doctor who gives every patient the same medicine? I can tell you I wouldn't go to such a doctor. You want a doctor who can correctly diagnose your problem and then prescribe the right medication. In some cases, your life may literally depend Upon it. As Paul writes to the Thessalonian congregation, he's kind of like a spiritual doctor. Uh, He is prescribing various spiritual medication to different groups of people. And maybe we could imagine that we in the congregation are like nurses, okay? The doctor says, here's the pills you give, and we are able to dispense them. Now, this is written to the congregation, to brethren, to the priesthood of all believers. And so this isn't just the duty of those in in, in spiritual leadership. This is the duty of brethren, sisters, the body of Christ, as we seek to minister to different needs within the fellowship. Paul begins with who he describes as the unruly. Verse 14, he says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Kind of an interesting word, the word unruly. It it means literally those who are not in line. 
those not in line. And it was a military term that was used to describe those who were out of step with their fellow soldiers. They were unruly because they have gotten out of line. And Paul doesn't specifically identify what the unruly person does, and maybe there's a reason for that. There are probably too many ways for someone to step out of line, and so how could he mention all the various ways that one could step out of line? But I think it's safe to say that the word unruly doesn't describe someone who sins and then turns to God in repentance. Otherwise, every Christian would be called unruly. This word describes someone whose lifestyle is unruly. Having stepped out of line, they are headed for trouble, and it is obvious to everyone. For example, if you watch on TV, sometimes you'll have these groups of soldiers that are just walking in line, you know, just step by step, and they are just perfectly lined up, row by row. The legs just go up perfectly. But if someone were to step out of line, it would be very obvious. That's the unruly one. One who has stepped out of line. Paul says that the unruly need to be admonished. And this word has an element of warning in it. One author says it is alerting someone of the serious consequences of their actions. So the unruly ones are headed for trouble. They are headed in a direction that is going to bring them destruction. They need to be warned. They need to be admonished. And why would we admonish them? Because we love them. We care for them. We're talking about within the body of Christ. We see someone headed down the wrong road, headed in the wrong direction. How can we just let that happen? Admonish the unruly. Several years ago, there was an older couple that was part of a congregation that I had served, actually the first church I served, and they were coming back to Minot along I-94, and they were doing some work in one of the lanes, and they had literally taken out a, a big section of, of the concrete road. And if you know how thick the concrete is, you know, there was, I don't know how much, how, how deep it was, but they had gotten in the wrong lane. They had gotten out of line, and they were being warned to to get back in the right lane, and for some reason they didn't see it or heed it. And they went right off the edge of that concrete and hit the other side, and they were killed instantly. My brother-in-law, Jerry Moan, Pastor Moan, had a funeral for a husband and a wife, that couple. They had gotten out of line. And the result was deadly. And so we need to admonish those who have gotten out of line. The second group, the faint-hearted, verse 14, Paul says we must encourage the faint-hearted. The word faint-hearted is is really quite interesting. It's it's almost like I was doing all word studies this week because these words are very interesting. The word faint-hearted is literally small of soul. Small of soul. 
It describes those who are timid, those who are fearful, their hearts are fainting. And one author says that these are the worried sheep, the faint-hearted ones. And if you look back to chapter 3, it's likely that some were faint-hearted because they were facing a time of persecution. In fact, this is one of the reasons why Paul sent Timothy back to that congregation to encourage them. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. Paul says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul was concerned that persecution might cause some of the Thessalonians to turn away from the Lord. They were faint-hearted. Persecution has a way of testing our faith. So how do you encourage the faint-hearted? Again, this word encourage is interesting. It, it means literally to speak alongside of. To speak alongside of. And it pictures someone who, who puts his arm around another and gives them verbal encouragement. Sharing the right word at the right time. I, I picture a coach. Where's Lori? Raise your hand, Lori. Where are you hiding? Okay. How many times have you had to put your arm around one of those girls and just give them a word of encouragement? Okay? Make the layup next time. Okay? Think before you do something dumb next time. I don't know what you tell them, but you encourage them verbally. Lou Pinella was once asked, what is the key to being a successful baseball manager? He said, knowing whether to give a guy a kick in the pants or a pat on the back. Well, admonishing someone might be giving them a kick in the pants, right? But encouraging them is giving them a pat on the back. Someone coming alongside of them to give them verbal encouragement. People need that, don't they? To be told what... They need to hear, to be told they're appreciated, to be told that you're praying for them. Not just assume that they know that, but they are told that, right? Husbands and wives, isn't that important? Don't be like the guy who never told his wife he loved her. And he said, well, I told you the day we were married, I loved you. If I ever changed my mind, I'd let you know. Well, that's not the way you do it, is it? Verbal encouragement. Some years ago, there was a corporate accountant that uh, committed suicide. And they were trying to figure out what was it that caused this man to take his life. And so they examined the company books to see if there was any money missing. And nothing could be uncovered until they found a note. 
And the note simply said this. In 30 years, I have never had one word of encouragement. I'm fed up. Can you imagine that? Working 30 years and never hearing one word of encouragement. You contrast that with the encouragement Larry Crabb describes that he received. As a youth, Larry had a difficult time stuttering. And he was humiliated in a school assembly. And then a short time later, when he was praying aloud in a church service, he got both his words and his theology mixed up as he was was stuttering. And he was expecting some stern correction. He slipped out of the service, resolving never to speak in public again. And there was an older gentleman that met him on the way out, and he said this, Larry, there's one thing I want you to know. Whatever you do for the Lord, I am behind you 1,000%. And Larry's determination never to speak in public again dissolved instantly. A word of encouragement. So we are called to admonish the unruly. We are called to encourage the faint-hearted. And then verse 14 also says we are called to help the weak. To help the weak. I don't think Paul is talking about those who are weak physically. He's talking about those who are spiritually weak. They have a faith that needs to be strengthened. And those who are spiritually strong, that needs to be part of their ministry. Look at Romans chapter 15. In verse 1 he says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Helping the weak. So why are some weak? Well, some are spiritually weak because they need to grow in their knowledge of the truth. They need to grow in the knowledge of God's Word. Their lack of understanding in important spiritual principles can cause someone, some to be spiritually weak. Now, Paul addresses that in several of his letters as he talks about various uh, dietary things and, and so forth. And so he addresses how you deal with, with the weak who have not knowledge that we're free in Christ and so forth. So some need to grow in their knowledge of the truth. Others are spiritually weak because they're going through some very difficult trials. Their faith is being severely tested. And we need to be there for them. When our brothers and sisters are struggling, we need to help them. Help the weak. The word help gives the picture of holding firmly, clinging to, Or holding up. Some translations say that we are to support the weak. And that gives an interesting picture. As they are struggling, we are standing with them. We are side by side with them, supporting them in their challenge. 
And I couldn't help but think of the Old Testament passage in Exodus chapter 17 where Moses is, is standing there with his hands lifted while the battle is going on and his arms were getting weak and Aaron and Hur were on each side of him holding his hands up as he looked to the Lord. And that picture just really struck me this week because what are we to do? We are to help people to, to look to the Lord. Not to look to us, but to look to the Lord. And as Moses and Aaron then were helping Moses to, to lift his hands to the Lord, that's how we help the weak. We help them focus on the Lord. And then Paul broadens the scope here with the next one. Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. But then he says, be patient with everyone. Not just one certain group here, but be patient with everyone. The word patient is literally long-tempered or long-suffering. In other words, a patient person isn't easily angered because he doesn't have a short fuse. It takes a long time for the patient man to lose his cool. And I find it interesting that Paul mentions it at this point, after speaking about admonishing the unruly, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak. There are times when we can become impatient with these groups of people, the unruly. The faint-hearted, helping the weak. It seems like we're, we're, we're trying, and if we don't see the, the kind of results we see in this ministry to these groups of people, we can get a little impatient. Maybe we might say to ourselves, why don't you grow up, huh? Well, they're struggling, they're hurting, and we don't want to become impatient with them. But then in the next verse, he goes on to describe another reason why we need patience. And that is because there are going to be times when we will be wronged. We will be hurt by others. And so Paul says, be patient with everyone. Then he says, see that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Broadens the scope very significantly. You see, the patient person seeks after that which is good for others because he thinks less of himself and he thinks more of others. In Philippians 2, Paul describes that whole attitude of, of looking not just for our own interests, but for the interests of others. And then he says, let this attitude be in you, which was in whom? In Jesus. So this is being like Jesus, isn't it? This is Christ-like living. Because Jesus admonished the unruly, didn't He? Jesus encouraged the faint-hearted. Jesus helped the weak. Jesus was patient with everyone. And so it comes back to that issue of our relationship with Jesus, doesn't it? This is not instruction given to those who are outside of Christ. Outside of Jesus, we don't live this way. 
We don't have the power to live this way. Apart from Jesus, we live for self. We don't care about others. But when Jesus comes into our life, that's what makes the difference, isn't it? When Christ is dwelling within us, when His Spirit dwells within us, what is the fruit of the Spirit? It is love, it is joy, it is peace, it is patience, huh? And many other fruit beside that. During one of his sermons, Hudson Taylor filled a glass with water and he placed it on a table in front of him. And while he was speaking, he pounded his fist on that table hard enough for the water to spill out of the glass. And then he said this. He said, you will come up against much trouble in your life. But when you do, remember, only what's in you will spill out. Think about that. You will come across trouble in your life, but only what's in you is going to spill out. That's why Jesus makes the difference, isn't He? When He is dwelling in us, when His Spirit is filling us, when the fruit of the Spirit is producing love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and self-control. It's not in us by nature. Because by nature we are selfish. We are sinful. We want our own way. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, you need Him. You have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And in order to carry out the, the instructions that Paul gives here, you need Christ as your Savior. I know many of you know Him. I see evidence in your life of the fruit of the Spirit. But if you don't know Him today, I invite you to come to Him. To be a part of the family of God. This, this is family instruction here. This is to brothers and sisters in Jesus. And we want you to know Jesus. We want you to be a part of the family of God. We want you to have that living relationship with Him and then begin to experience what it is to be a part of that wonderful family we call the family of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for Your goodness to us. Thank You, Lord, for these instructions given to those who call themselves brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to admonish the unruly. Help us, Lord, to encourage the faint-hearted. Help us, Lord, to help the weak and to be patient with everyone. That You might be honored, O God, that You might be glorified in the way that we function, the way that we live in the body of Christ. For we pray in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.